read the word of the Lord here, and we'll uh, continue with the word of prayer. Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, that uh, you are the great and awesome God of all creation. God, I thank you that uh, you give us everything we need. Lord, I ask that today I would bring your word forth. Lord, that uh, it would make every man complete in Christ. Lord, give us your eyes, give us your ears, so that we could see what you are telling us, Lord. Lord, I ask that you would speak through me, that it not be I, but it be you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So we've come to the final point in this study of the gospel. Today, we are going to focus on the forgiveness of God. Dr. MacArthur puts it this way, Man is never more like God than when he forgives. Exodus 34, 6 and 7 Moses just received the second set of the Ten Commandments. And God says this to Moses about himself. He says, Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. God proclaims that He is a God of forgiveness. God holds forgiveness in high esteem. There's a whole book of the Bible dedicated to forgiveness. That's the book of Philemon. The book of Philemon tells about Onesimus, a runaway slave, how he finds Paul in the city of Rome, and he gets saved. But he has done a great crime against his master. He ran away. He stole some things in the doing of that. And his master, Philemon, had to replace him. So Paul sent him back with a letter to Philemon saying, This man has come to me. He has become saved, and you need to forgive him. Psalm 86.5 For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. If we want to be honest, we can look at the Bible and say that it is a book of forgiveness, reconciling man to God. One of the greatest 
views of this, images of this, I guess I should say, is in Luke 15, 11 through 24. If you would turn there with me. Everyone knows this. It is the parable of the prodigal son. Starting in verse 11, Jesus is speaking to people that are around him. Among them are the Pharisees and the uh, scribes, tax collectors and sinners. And he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found, and they began to celebrate. We see here one of the first things that needs to happen if forgiveness is going to happen is that there has to be an offense to be forgiven. Okay? Let's be honest. Causing an offense is an ever-continual occurrence in our daily lives. We either offend God, we offend another person, we offend our children, but I can also say, most of the time, those offenses are small. They're not given much clout. Most of the time, they're just something that's brushed off, becomes a joke. Every once in a while, though, you, you get one that gets serious. <laughs> Somebody gets pretty mad at you. But there is an offense. We offend continually. There's... Whether it's God, whether it's someone else, we cause an offense. One thing I want to help us to understand, though, is that for us to understand the offenses 
and the things of this parable, we have to understand some things about the culture and the time. Because the way this was written then is the way it was meant. And people had implied cultural references that maybe we don't understand. So living in our time, our culture does not put a lot of stock in religion, honor, shame. Look at our society. There's no such concept of shame anymore. Someone does something shameful, they pass it off as they have liberty to do so, that it's right to them. Sure, in generations past in this country, in countries like ours, there was a time when people would trust you on your word. And if you did not follow through on that word, you would bring shame and distrust to yourself. People would not trust you. Those days are all but gone. In the day and age we live in, in fact, our society operates under such standards that distrust is implied. Look at the way we write contracts. The way our laws are written. Even the union of marriage. Why do we see things like prenuptial agreements? You're telling somebody that you love them, but you don't trust them? Just saying. So you see, we have to look at things and adjust ourselves sometimes to understand what the text before us is saying. Okay, We need to know what it meant in the time that it was written. And it's also true that we need to know and identify the audience that the story is being presented to. So if we look at Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Okay, the people that were his audience at the moment were Jews. It says there were sinners and tax collectors. Then we also have the spiritual religious leaders. And we know this because it says that they were grumbling about him associating with sinful people. So with this in mind, let's look at verses 12 through 14. It says, The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the young son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and began, and he began to be impoverished. So we see the first offense is from the younger son. He told the father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. This was an unthinkable request at the time. It was equivalent to the son telling the father that I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. I hate you. I want nothing to do with you. And I never want to see you again. I wish you were dead. 
This was so outrageous, such an outrageous offense, that the father would be highly justified in beating the son and dragging him to the city gates and presenting him to the elders of the town who would in turn publicly scourge and shame that son. And if that son did not repent at that point, they would most likely be disowned and they would have a funeral for him. Just making this request in itself was that serious of an offense in that day. Now, I don't know about you. I believe that every parent goes through this, having an offense from their children. I've heard my kids tell me at one point or another that they hate me because I have some certain rule or would discipline them, something like that. Many of us as parents try to blow it off. I've stated jokingly that uh, I wear it as a badge of honor at times. (laughs) My wife and I have joked with each other, saying that hearing I hate you coming from your child means you're doing something right as parents. Because we know that they really don't mean it. They're just upset. But no matter what, as a parent... It hurts. It hurts to hear that. But I would never think of imposing such a harsh penalty on my children, not in this time, not in this day and age. Nor do I think I would be justified by our society in doing the things that uh, they did. But it was expected in that time to impose such a harsh penalty because it was a deterrent to others who would want to try the same thing. However, we see that the father in this story does not impose any punishment. He does the exact opposite. He grants the son his request, which that was even more unthinkable. The scribes and the Pharisees are sitting there going, oh my gosh. What in the world is this father doing? He's bringing shame upon himself to an already shameful situation. And honestly, this request, or this is, I'm sorry, what the father is doing, he's giving his son over to his sin. Romans 1, the rest of Romans 1, God continually gives the people over to their sins continually over and over and over again. So we have a son who has asked this great offense. I mean, he is asking, basically he's telling his father, I wish you were dead. And his father is not enforcing any punishment. Now we have this situation where the family is just seen in this great shame in a society where shame and honor were things that uh, honor was something that you strive for. Shame was something that you avoided. So we'll look at what happens next. Verse 13, not many days later, 
The young son gathered everything together and went on a journey in a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. It just gets worse. It gets worse. The offense, not only is the son asking for his inheritance, but now he goes and he haphazardly liquidates everything he's been given. Basically, he had a fire sale. Come and get it at a discounted price. Then what does he do? He moves as far away as possible to get away from his father, to get away from his family, to get away from the town that they live in. He doesn't want to be known by anybody, and he doesn't want to be anywhere near his family at all. Then he squanders it. He squanders it with loose living. And if you look in verse 30, which is a little past our reading here, though, we see what some of this means. It says, but when this son of yours came, and this is the older son, it says, but when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, and you killed the fattened calf for him. He said his brother knows that he devoured his father's wealth with prostitutes. He was partying it up. He was living the party life. He sinned against his father. He was sinning against everybody he knew. He was sinning against God. He brought the greatest shame imaginable to his family, to everyone that he grew up with, that he associated with. And up until this point, he's had control of everything he's done. Okay? But what happens next? He doesn't have any control over. Verses 14 through 17. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country. And he began to be impoverished. A severe famine. Okay? He has run out of money. And now circumstances started up that there's nothing to eat. There's no work to be had. So he continues, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. And no one was giving anything to him. When he, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. This brings us to the next point of forgiveness. That's the realization of your offense. The son has now lost everything. There's no one that is stuck around to help him. When he had money, he was partying it up. And surely people were coming to him like moths to a light. But now, as soon as things get tough, and he doesn't have any money, he doesn't have anything to keep those people around, 
Those same people suddenly become like cockroaches and scatter away from that same light. So he has nothing. Nothing. So like many people, he decides, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to work. I'm going to do what I can to do for myself. Well, if you know anything about a famine, which none of us have ever been through a famine, there's nothing out there. There's no food. There's no jobs. Nothing. People are dying in the streets. It is a horrible, horrible ordeal. But he's still sitting there thinking he can make a way for himself. So he tried, he decided to try to work for someone in that country. It says that he hired himself out to a person in that country. The word actually means to glue yourself or to literally stick to or become attached to someone. So he was more like a desperate beggar. So he stuck himself to this person in this country that's far off where he's at. And this person didn't seem to be able to shake him. So he told him, he said, go feed his pigs. And that was the ultimate insult to a Jewish man. Now, the Pharisees and scribes are sitting there going, well, at least he's saying that, you know, he's trying to turn himself around, but to go feed pigs? To feed pigs? Really? That's terrible. They are just, they're beyond belief now at what's going on. Beyond belief. And it says in turn here that no one gives anything to him. He's feeding the pigs. He's not getting paid. So it's obvious that this guy that told him to go feed his pigs had no intention of doing anything for him. And he was so desperate at this point that he was willing to eat the pig slop. He was willing to eat the pig slop. In verse 17, he comes to the realization that he has committed a great offense and that he himself caused this terrible outcome. Which quickly brings us to the third point of forgiveness, and that is repentance. Starting in verse 18, he says, I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he's come to the realization that he has made great offense and now he is willing to get up, go to his father and repent of what he's done. And he's willing to go and do what the Jewish law says that if you were to come back that you need to work your way back into their graces, that you are to become the lowest of the low and you are to work off everything that you've done. So he, in turn, is willing 
to go back and do that, become like one of his father's hired men. And hired men of that time, they were the lowest of the workers. They were day laborers. They got paid daily, and they worked day to day to fill their needs. So if they didn't, for some reason, if they did not get work that day, there was nobody caring for them. So he's going to go back to his father, and he is going to crawl back and say, Father, I have sinned against you. I've sinned against God. Please let me work myself back to your graces. But let's look. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The son comes back broken, humble to the father. He smells like pigs. He has nothing. He's on the verge of starvation. He admits his sin and shame. That is the true repentant heart. But now we see the forgiveness of the father. The father was watching for him. The father was wanting to see his son come back. The father had great love and compassion for his son. He came to him, and his father grabbed him up quickly, embraced him, he kissed him. He loved him so much. The son started his speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But look at what happened. The father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it, let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again and was lost and has been found. They began to celebrate. This was completely and totally uncharacteristic of noble men of that time. They did not run, first of all. They did not run. They wore, and some of them still today, wear long robes. And for anyone to pull up the robe to run and expose any part of their body was considered shameful. So now we have the Pharisees again. You know, they were saying, well, you know, the son came and he's repentant and everything else. Finally, something's going right here. And Jesus is poking the bear again. All of a sudden you have this noble man of wealth and he is running to his son and he is forgiving his son. He is kissing his son. What shame! How shameful is that? 
And boy, they're, they're, they're sitting there going, man, what is wrong with this dysfunctional family? <laughs> Completely uncharacteristic. It was shameful. But you know what? The father didn't care. He didn't care. He had such an overwhelming love for his son that he went out and he shamed himself to cover his son's shame. He never discounted him. He was always watching for him. And he watched for him from a long ways out because he wanted to protect his son when he brought him back to the city. After all the shame and heartache that the son delivered, the father never gave up on him. He was willing to shame himself to reconcile his son and to protect his son. This is a great reflection of God's heart. This whole passion or passage can be summed up in the simple words again of Psalm 86:5, "For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive, and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you." God's the perfect Father. He is the Father in this. He's ready to forgive. He's abundant in love and kindness. And all that has to be done is that you come to Him in repentance. So we see the Son returns in a manner of brokenness. He confesses to the Father His sins and wretched deeds. He planned to ask the Father to accept Him just to work for His redemption. Just enough. But he never got the chance. He started out his speech again. He said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But before he could ask to become one of his father's hired men, his father interrupts him. His father interrupts him and we see this. But the father said to the slaves, quickly bring out the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, kill it. Let's eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. The son was greeted in the most loving way possible. He gave him all the best things. He wouldn't let him come to even tell him that he wanted to be a hired man. And he was restored as if he'd never left, as if he had never offended him. He was restored being completely identified with the Father. On top of that, there was a great celebration much joy, a huge party, a party big enough that they could eat an entire full-grown beef ready for the slaughter. It was proclaimed that he was dead 
and now is alive. Maybe this is best way that it's stated. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoings against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. 1 Corinthians 5.17-19 That's not the end of the story, but that is the forgiveness of God. He reconciled us to himself through Christ. And it's not anything that we could ever do. So some say, what happened to the older son? And that is the end of the story. The older son was in the field. And he didn't even get notification from the father which shows that he really didn't have much of a relationship with the father. He came to the house. He heard the music and the dancing. He talked to one of the servants, said, what's going on? Verse 27 said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But what happened? The older brother, he became angry who's not willing to go celebrate. So his father came out and was pleading with him. The son said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat, so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead, and he's begun to live, and was lost and has been found. The father says, Hey, your brother, he did terrible things. Most likely they even had a funeral for him. So he said he was dead. But guess what? He's alive again. But the brother... He still hasn't repented of his own sins. He could not even go and celebrate that his brother was alive again. Don't let that be you. Don't let that be you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we've been in these messages with this study. Lord, I thank you that uh, you have brought forgiveness to all of us. Lord, I ask that uh, as we continue on the weeks to come, Lord, that you would give us great direction. Lord, that we would be able to see your work in the world today. Lord, your forgiveness. Thank you for everything. Thank you for your reconciliation. Amen.